The St. Charles County Veterans Museum is a 501c3 nonprofit business. The museum would not exist without the donations of our generous community. Your donations ensure the museum continues to share and preserve the stories of our veterans. Would you like to be part of something special? To donate, visit sccvetsmuseum.org and click on Donate. The Dog Tech Podcast may at times cover sensitive topics including, but not limited to, suicide, abuse, violence, severe mental illness, sex, drugs, and alcohol addiction. You are advised to refrain from watching or listening to the Dog Tag Podcast if you are likely to be offended or adversely impacted by any of these topics. Neither the company, host, director, or guests shall at any time be liable for the content covered causing offense, distress, or other reaction. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. The primary purpose of the Dog Tag Podcast is to educate. The views, information, or opinions expressed on the Dog Tag Podcast are solely the views of the individuals or guests involved and by no means represent absolute facts. The Dog Tag does not accept responsibility for their views or comments. This podcast is sponsored by the Renee S. Real Estate Agency located here in O'Fallon, Missouri. She is licensed in Missouri and Illinois and focuses on your personal and commercial insurance needs. Her office is located at 2764 Highway K, O'Fallon, Missouri, 63368. She can be reached at 636-379-9556 or by email at reneesri at allstate.com, R-E-N-E-E-E-S-S-A-R-Y at allstate.com. If you are shopping for insurance and want an active agent that will educate and advise you on the coverage you need, reach out to her. Welcome to the Dog Tag Podcast from the St. Charles County Veterans Museum with your host, Jason Galvin. Welcome to the Dog Tag Podcast from the St. Charles County Veterans Museum. Today we're going to share a story about Sergeant Robert Garvey, a World War II veteran and B-24 crewman who served in the U.S. Army Air Corps from 1942 to 1945. Robert Garvey was born August 5, 1923. He lived in West St. Louis and graduated from Solden High School in June 1941. After graduation, Robert went to work for Curtis Wright in St. Louis. Curtis Wright has owned of the most renowned legacy in aerospace industry. In 1929, Curtis Wright was formed by the merger of companies formed by Glenn Curtis, the father of naval aviation, and the Wright brothers. Robert, while at Curtis Wright, was building airplane parts for the Lend-Lease program. America was supplying aid and military equipment to Allied nations to help win the war. Robert was drafted at 19 and sent to Shepherd Field, Texas, for basic training. Since he had been building airplanes in civilian life, it was decided Robert would be in the Army Air Force, or Army Air Corps, as it was known. After basic, Robert was sent to mechanic school at Fort Leavenworth, where he took a flight physical. Anyone who passed the flight physical was immediately sent to gunnery school in Fort Myers, Florida. There in Fort Myers, they received plenty of target practice. They would shoot at moving targets in the sky 
on the group and including Trap and Skeet. Gunnery school lasted about two months. Robert said, I was about an average shot. After gunnery school in 1943, Robert went home for Thanksgiving, the only time he ever went on leave during his service. From gunnery school, Robert was sent off to Salt Lake City, Utah, where he was assigned to a crew with a B-24. The B-24 crew consisted of six enlisted men, sergeants, and four officers in a training group of ten planes. There were four turret gunners, two waist gunners, a pilot, a co-pilot, a navigator, and a bombardier. The pilot assigned gunnery positions, and Robert was assigned to the nose gun. Robert grew very close to his fellow crew members. From Harvard, Nebraska, the squadron flew to Coretta, Italy. At that time, Germany still held much of northern Italy. In May 1944, Robert and his crew began missions to the north and east. Targets consisted mostly of railroads, bridges, and factories. A typical mission would begin at 7 a.m., and often there were thousands of planes in the sky. There were B-24s, B-17s, and later escort fighters would join them as they neared their targets. A typical schedule was to fly two to three days in a row, and then off a day. Weather had to be good, or there would be no mission. Robert played a lot of cribbage back then. The other crew members played poker and bridge, but he wasn't very good at either. Robert had flown 29 missions with his regular crew. On June 13, 1944, Robert was quote-unquote volunteered to be a substitute nose gunner with another crew. A heavy smoke screen prevented the group from bombing railroad marshalling yards at Munich. On their way to the alternative target in Innsbruck, Austria, they were jumped by German planes, and their B-24 was disabled. The group suffered severe damage to their aircraft from flak and interceptor aircraft. Despite heavy gunfire encountered at the alternative target, the group bombed the marshalling yards at Innsbruck and received a distinguished unit citation for its persistent action. The June 13th mission was the costliest mission in the 484th group's history. Robert's plane wouldn't make it to their target. When asked if Robert had ever bailed out of a plane, he said no. They had never practiced. But with the plane damaged and going to crash, there was no hesitation. He just wanted to get out. He waited until he had cleared the plane and pulled the ripcord. The parachute went between his legs, and then he realized he was upside down. Robert said he was just glad to get out of the plane. Floating down was quiet, pleasant, and peaceful until he hit the ground with a big whap. It was about noontime, and he landed in an open field. The landing knocked the wind out of him for a short while. They were trained to gather their chute and run into the nearest cover or woods to hide. When he was running for the woods, something that felt like a slap hit him on the right, back, and knocked him down. Confused, he started to unbutton his flight suit uniform, discovered blood, and realized he was shot. He was trying to orient himself when another bullet struck him in his right arm. Robert says today, when someone asked me my level of pain on a scale of 1 to 10, I know what 10 feels like. The shot in the back was like a slap. The one in the arm was very painful. His captors were a German home guard, an older man and a civilian. Bleeding, they walked Robert into a nearby town. Tired from the walk and loss of blood, he lay down on the side of the road. A Catholic priest walked by, but he didn't speak any English. He gave Robert a crucifix, which he still has today. He was taken to a nearby regular Catholic hospital run by nuns in habit. One nun who spoke a little English told him, Don't worry, we'll take good care of you. 
While he was in the hospital, he found another member of the crew who had been shot by the fighters in the attack on their plane. He was in the civilian hospital for a week before being transferred to German military hospital in a POW ward on the top floor. There were about 20 of them there. While there, they were cared for and fed well. Their only worry was the Americans would bomb the hospital not knowing there were POWs there. After three weeks, they were taken by train wearing their American uniforms. No insignias to a POW camp. German civilians saw them, but they were unsure if they knew they were POWs. While on the train, they stopped in Nuremberg. There were lots of bombed-out buildings in the city. They continued on to Frankfurt in an interrogation center where all POWs were sent. Robert was placed in a cell by himself. The next morning, a German officer came in to interrogate him. He asked him where he was the last month. The officer told him they knew more than he did and had no more questions. The officer informed Robert the rest of his crew had made it out and was okay. Robert then boarded a train to go to his permanent POW camp. The train car was crowded and everyone could not lie down at once to sleep, so they had to take turns sleeping. They were in the boxcar for a week. They were all worried that an American plane would strike the train during the trip. They finally ended up in Poland at Stagliftov and Gross Tychow, Pomerania, now Tychowo, Poland. Most of the occupants were American Air Force NCOs. The camp was opened in May of 1944. A military report was released which described problems such as an inadequate shower facility and unfit distribution of Red Cross parcels. Prisoners were permitted two letters and four postcards per month. The letters were harshly censored with prisoners forced to tell their families they were being treated well. They were housed in wooden barracks about three feet off the ground. Each barrack had ten rooms and ten men in a room. There was a potbelly stove and a bag of straw for mattresses, and they had two buckets, one for washing, one for food. Robert said this was in August of 1944. I knew because I had my 21st birthday on the train. Our diet consisted mostly of unseasoned potatoes, carrots, and cabbage. Sometimes we had bread with sawdust added for bulk. We never had any meat. Although the International Red Cross supplied a food supplement package for each week, the Germans wouldn't give us one each week. We played a lot of cards. They tried to teach me bridge, but I couldn't learn it. Since they were NCOs, sergeants, they were not required to work. Every morning and every night, the guards counted prisoners and then locked them in their barracks. Robert said if the count was right, everything went smoothly. Outside, there was a tall barbed wire fence. Inside the fence was a shorter, one-foot-tall wire. You could walk up to the short wire. If you crossed it, the guard would shoot you. Robert did not know of anyone who tried to escape. Robert was in this camp from August to February of 1945. During the first part of February 1945, the Russians were approaching from the east and the Germans began moving their prisoners west in Germany. The Germans marched them on backboards and in a circular routes for nearly three months. History would later refer to them as the Black March. The 8,000 men in the camp were given the remaining Red Cross parcels. They marched under guard about 15 to 20 miles per day. There was much zigzagging to escape the Soviet Red Army. Treatment was very bad. The sick were mistreated. Some prisoners were bayoneted. Shelters at night might be a barn or under the stars. One night, Robert had his boots stolen. He was forced to march the next five to six days 
wearing only several pairs of socks on his feet. He became badly blistered. One night, the Germans told them they were going to walk the prisoners into the American lines the next day. They entered a small town with bunches of white flags flying. As they walked up to the Americans, the guards laid down their weapons and surrendered. Robert said, The two GIs in a jeep greeting the prisoners got beat up from all of us hugging and patting them. The Americans walked them to an airbase, deloused them, and gave them mess. They were there about a week and ate about six meals a day. They also enjoyed movies and snacks. They learned where the best food mess was available. Food was on our minds all of the time, Robert said. Robert wrote home saying he was safe. General Eisenhower came to the base where they were waiting to leave for home. They departed for London for a week and then on to Liverpool to board a ship for home. Five days later, they arrived in New York Harbor. They went to Camp Kilmer, New Jersey for a few days, and then they were given shots and checked over, and then they told them they would be sent to the base near their home. For Robert Garvey, the base was Jefferson Barracks in St. Louis, his hometown. Robert was given a 60-day leave and was told that in 45 days, he should have the doctor say he still needed more rest. The doctor's note gave him another 30 days of leave. After his leave, Robert reported to Miami, Florida, and was there when Japan surrendered. With the war ending, Robert had enough points to be discharged. Robert came home, married in 1947, and graduated from engineering school in 1949. He went on to work for McDonnell Douglas in St. Charles. Looking back, Robert said, his captors treated him well throughout the ordeal. Nobody ever thought we wouldn't win the war or wouldn't get home. And now a message from Robert to future generations. German Nazism and Japanese imperialism threatened the freedom of people all over the world in the early 1940s. Those of us that enlisted or were drafted went to fight for our country. Although this was not a pleasant experience and wars continued to rage in the world, I would not want my children or grandchildren to be involved in conflict. However, I would say to them, there are some things worth fighting for. I would tell them to stay in school, continue their education, choose their friends wisely, and keep their faith in God. The United States of America must be protected for each succeeding generation. Therefore, it is important to be informed about world events and to take an active role in one's government by taking advantage of the privilege of voting. It is necessary to educate future generations about the wars America has fought on foreign soils to keep not only Americans free, but those oppressed by tyrants who seek to force their will on others. Many lives have been lost in all the wars fought by Americans, beginning with the Revolutionary War, then the Civil War, the Spanish-American War, World War I, World War II, the Korean War, Vietnam, and Desert Storm. By becoming aware of the causes of these wars, perhaps future generations will be able to prevent other conflicts that would take the lives of Americans' young people. May peace on earth, goodwill towards men, be the words by which we live in the future.
The dog tag is brought to you by the St. Charles County Veterans Museum. The museum is a 501c3 nonprofit business. Do you like our podcast? With your support, we'll continue to bring you great programming. If you'd like to donate, go to sccvetsmuseum.org and click on Donate. This podcast is sponsored by the Renee S. Real Estate Agency, located here in O'Fallon, Missouri. She is licensed in Missouri and Illinois and focuses on your personal and commercial insurance needs. Her office is located at 2764 Highway K, O'Fallon, Missouri, 63368. She can be reached at 636-379-9556 or by email at reneesreeatallstate.com, R-E-N-E-E-E-S-S-A-R-Y at allstate.com. If you are shopping for insurance and want an active agent that will educate and advise you on the coverage you need, reach out to her.